You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Hey there, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Formed and Sent podcast. Before we just jump right back into the second half of our conversation about abortion, we want to make sure that you have listened to the first half because we went out of our way to try to lay some really important groundwork for who we know might be listening to this, who we are, what our hopes are and aren't for this conversation. Uh, Just being very clear about the gospel and what that says about us and anybody that might have any feelings or thoughts or experiences in regards to abortion. And we just spend lots of time talking about why this conversation is hard to have in the first place. And all that stuff is very important uh, context as you come into this second half of our conversation. So if you've not listened to that yet, please go do that first. That should be available right now for you to listen to at your convenience. Uh, and with that said, we will pick up where we left off. Uh, we will move in from that. Again, we could probably talk about why that is, why this is so difficult, but let's move into what we can actually say clearly. Uh, again, not that this makes things easier and not that this doesn't complicate you know, but like what can we declare or say clearly, simply into this issue? No one wants to go first. But, I do. Okay, great. Fantastic. I think we can say clearly, as Christians, we believe that God creates life. God is the author of That's life. That's fair, right? What are you laughing yeah, I, would say, <laughs> I would say he's for it, too. Yes. Yeah. Like, honestly. Yeah. Creates yeah. life is for creates it. Creates and is for he it. He values life. That's what I'll say. All his creation has value and worth. He's against murder. And we also know that from Scripture, the world is negatively impacted by sin, right? We're mm-hmm. bent and broken, and so that twists how we think of things and shifts hearts. And so, yeah, like, like you said, God is the creator of all things and is for it. And so, like, man, like... I'll use this verse to just kind of back something up, and I don't use this verse as a club or anything like that, but I think this verse gives value to men, women, children, and unborn as well. It's Jeremiah 1.5, and it says, God talking to Jeremiah, and it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And so, gosh, like, yeah, not as a club to wield, but as, as something that gives purpose and significance in, in God's heart to all of his creation. To that end, I go back to what I had just kind of set up before with like your what is your highest authority, um, and and like you can call it moral ethics whatever it is but like whatever wherever you categorize this thing like what is the thing like the at the the highest or the most foundational uh, base level the thing on which all the other pillars that you would put up around any of these conversations life um, pre birth birth mother, elderly, disability, whatever it is, like what are the foundations on which you build? And yeah, I mean, I I think the four of us would say that we build, uh, all of our pillars are are seated on top of scripture. Yeah. And and I mean, like these are the the things that you're going to hear, but certainly Jeremiah 1.5. And and so I I guess if you, however you view this, like you have to at least contend with scripture if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus. and and, And that's the... The highest authority that you have, and so the Imago Dei, and and we're born in the or made in the image of God. Um, certainly, that that God interacts with us pre-birth. That's a thing, but I, I think the the highest authority piece is really significant because we know that that's not the play. That's not the way this is going to play out in congressional hearings. Right. We know that yeah. 
that you open the Bible and say, there it is. Like, what net? Like, we know that. But we also know the life that we get to live and that that is our highest authority. So that is where we get to start. And so if you're a follower of Jesus and you're finding yourself outside of, you know, like, however this would play out for you, you at least have to contend with the scripture to, to get yourself wherever you are. Yeah. And just to be really clear, like, if you go to Bible Gateway or open up your Bible app and you, like, search for abortion... Like, you're probably not going to find anything. Like, you're, you're probably not, it's going to turn up zero results or whatever. And so, but that's, that doesn't mean that the scripture doesn't say anything to this issue as, you know, Matt and Michael have both spoken to. Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, like, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Or like John the Baptist, we see in, uh, you know, Luke chapter 1, Talks about how he was going to be filled with the Spirit even from his mother's womb. He leapt for joy when you know Mary showed up. You know when she was pregnant with Jesus. And so like, it's not just because it you know you search for abortion in your Bible app and it doesn't come up anywhere. It doesn't mean that the scriptures don't speak into this issue at all. And it really it, it puts forth the positive value mm-hmm. of how beautiful and valuable, how purposeful, how. Uh, just intentional he is with every single human, even even like forming them in the womb. And so it's this positive picture that that does get to speak into this issue, even though you may not find it in your search results. You know, I think we can also declare to be true because we believe biblical narrative to be historically accurate because we believe the Bible to be, you know, author- have authority and be inspired by the Holy Spirit. When we read it, you can't help but see that God cares about those who are vulnerable, those who are discarded, those who are considered less than or not considered at all by the culture. Um, God cares about advocating for and speaking up for those that he has created and that he loves that may not be loved by or valued by other people. So I think we Mm -hmm. see that God is for those that culture is not all of the time. Um, I also think we can... I had something else. I don't know what it is. Talk, I don't think about it. <laughs> That's okay. I think it's easy as a Christian to just unintentionally be uninformed, right? Like there's yeah, assumptions sure. that we make growing up. Like, oh, my family has always thought this. And so I'm going to think that and think that that maybe is biblical. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I know that even people might have a different perspective. And it's not even out of just a animosity towards something. It's just, no, I, I didn't know. And so like the reason why we're throwing out some of the scriptures is to just help you as a, if you are a Christian listening to anchor some of your thought in the scriptures. And another one is Psalms 139, mm-hmm. where you're just one small section of it is this for you were created. Uh, my inmost beings, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. It goes on to say my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All of my days were ordained before me, written together in your book. And so, gosh, like, I won't continue on, but, like, just know that, like you said, Scott, it might not say abortion, but it does speak to the value of life, mm-hmm. to God's intentionality with it, and to it's a good thing, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. To mash what you two were saying, Kel and Matt, like, the Lord doesn't seem to be partial towards certain kinds of people, mm-hmm. or, like, there's not tiers of personhoods that he you know, bestows on certain kinds of folks. So the poor or the vulnerable, the rich, the middle class, uh, the uh, able-bodied or the unable-bodied, the connected to, like, this is, I think this is where some of the some of the things that, like, make me sad and grieve me and the way that some folks talk about this is 
I don't think that some of the ways that, you know, to Matt, what you were saying, like uninformed or maybe just inconsistent in the way that we think about stuff, because maybe we've not thought about it, is bringing thoughts or arguments into this conversation that we wouldn't really apply anywhere else to any other form of And so, like, saying that, you know, well, uh, Babe in the Womb, like, doesn't have any memory or it's not conscious in some way or... Uh, it's viability, like apart from intervention, like it's not going to live apart from whatever. It's like, okay, but then what about my family member or my friend who is, who can't remember much or is having a difficult time knowing where he is, you know, at the moment, or what about, you know, the special needs, uh, or differently able people that gather with us, the kids that are here with us, like, are they somehow less, you know, uh, worthy of living or, Folks that do need medical intervention in order to survive, you know, if they're unconscious, if they're in a coma, if they're like, you know, there are, if you take, if we take what we're saying into this conversation and try to then like apply it to maybe other circumstances or situations, I don't know that we would have the same vigor of like being really ready to say that person's not a person anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, just, I want to be mindful of ableism or even just like, like an, another thing that comes into that is uh, personhood stuff is like social connections and their value in society or whatever, you know, so if they've not contributed, there's not this like cultural connection or interpersonal connection. Ah, they're not really part of, you know, planet earth yet. And it's like, well, yeah, but we have like gender reveal parties and we, you know, put our ultrasound things up on the board and we, we mourn and grieve when there's a miscarriage, you know, and like, all these other things that point to the fact that like, ah, oh, that's, that's not really true either. And what's that say about the shut in or the hermit or the people who have a hard time communicating or can't communicate or, you know, whatever. It's so like, there's all sorts of things there that go into that, that I think, you know, we get to be mindful of across the board, unborn women, men, you know, like mm-hmm. we get to be mindful of, of folks across the board on that. I mean, to, to that end, I, it's tough to find sp- base of when to say all the things i'm sure that all there's just so much but like i I can't i I think this is uh inevitably a conversation when you're when you're having this conversation it gets to that point like you would say that it's not viable or it's it's not legitimate or it's not a personhood or whatever language you want to use in there but like you know but once it's born it is and like that's the really difficult thing that like we all know you know premature babies and babies that were born in five months or six months and like it would just be like a brutality on a level that few no matter where you stand would comprehend if you did that to a a a baby outside of that you know half inch skin Mm -hmm. but that that half inch of skin the the mother's you know like stomach like justifies that and it just it's difficult to 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 get there, mm-hmm. especially, and I know there's like caveats and late term stuff and whatever, but some of that stuff, like the brutality of it is like, it's really difficult, you know? Yeah. Um, but then like, what, what is it that gets us to justify that? Yeah. And it's like the, the well, birth is what changes that mm-hmm. baby's mm-hmm. rights. Or yeah. Whatever. Changes the morals or ethics and yeah. like that mm-hmm. thing. That's, I mean, personhood for me has been like one of the things that this conversation comes down to a lot and mm-hmm. certainly the personhood of the mom and the dad and the personhood of the child born or unborn like all those things matter it's a little fuzzy i mean what's funny is even in roe v wade the majority opinion that was given in that decision i'll read it, it says uh if this suggestion of personhood is established that 
maybe the unborn child is a person, then the appellant's case, of course, collapses for the fetus right to life would then be guaranteed specifically by the amendment. And the appellant conceded as much on re-argument. So basically saying like, yeah, everyone agrees that if, like in Roe v. Wade, the, the, both parties said like, if that's a person, this changes everything, you know? But legally, uh, that's a little tough. And honestly, legally in the United States, we've not had a great track record of like deciding who's a person and who's not, no, whether it's not. not or three-fifths or whatever. And so... I think that's where, yeah, religion and philosophy kind of get to play a part a little bit in that. But where the science comes into play, I spent some time, like, listening to secular pro-life folks, and which is like a larger move. It's like 23% of people who would identify as uh, among the nuns or the non-religious, like, folks land in the place that they think that abortion is... In most cases, except in the, you know, when the mother's life is at stake or other extreme circumstances, like, that it's immoral, like, that it's wrong. And so there are, it, it's interesting to listen to their arguments for why they land where they land. It's purely based on science. Even Christopher Hitchens, who, some of you might know that name is like, he was like among the new atheists, Richard Dawkins kind of buddies, all that kind of, like, vitriolic against religion and the church and all that stuff. But because of science... Like saying, hey, embryology has done nothing but but point to the fact that, hey, this, what some of us might say is a clump of cells, it's a genetically distinct human organism that has all the information that it needs to grow and develop into something that our eyeballs would one day recognize, hey, that's a person, you know, and, and nothing distinguishes that. The human life cycle in every biology textbook, you know, that you had grown up and that probably kids have right now in classrooms will say that the life cycle of a human begins at fertilization. And so for a lot of secular folks that land where you might not expect them to on the pro-life position, uh, it is actually because of science and the continued advancement of science, the continued ability to make younger and younger uh, early term like babies viable outside of the womb. Like that's a moving goalpost in terms of like what it looks like to be viable outside of the womb because of medical technology and advancement. And so, you know, Michael, to your point of the half inch skin and what makes a difference there. Like it is when you zoom out and say, Hey, like we're not going to talk about personhood, but let's just talk about what a human organism is apart from any stakes and trying to make some religious claims. Like scientifically that seems to be a human life from the get go. And so it's just an interesting dimension to kind of swim in even in this conversation. Which is what surprisingly I think is propagating the, the grounds for potentially overturning this is the science. Yeah. N not, it's not a religious conversation. It's a scientific conversation. Yeah, for sure. So the last thing I want to declare to be true, not like last in this conversation, just me personally, which may or may not feel off topic to you guys, but um, we know from the scriptures that God does not use our past or history or even our sin against us. Mm -hmm. And so, in fact, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And so what's also true in this conversation is that wherever you find yourself and those of you who I can't stop thinking about you, if you have had an abortion, have you know, agreed to an abortion, have considered an abortion. If you're listening, you are not the enemy, as we said at the beginning of me, of the church, of the village church of God. Um, and so, yeah, just that there is grace. You can find yeah. it here. And God's for you. He's for your unborn child, living or not. No, that is exactly, I literally have like, not beyond <clears throat> grace exclamation point. You know, like, I think we, we could declare that elective abortion like, that's not be for medical necessity. It's not because there's some crazy circumstance going on or whatever. But, like, just 
elective abortion uh, is ending it, it's ending a human life and it is murder which I hate I, I hate to even say that like from the sense of knowing how people will hear that but then that's why I have literally in parentheses right next to that and, and yet like no one is beyond grace exclamation point mm-hmm. and so if you're thinking well shoot then like what does that mean about me well that just means that you're exactly the kind of person that Jesus came <laughs> to die for which includes the rest of us too that have never done that but have certainly wanted in our hearts to murder mm-hmm. and Jesus lumps us all in the same boat in that category and so like we get to declare that and yet we don't declare that from a, a high place or some seat next to the Lord on our own like we say that as somebody who deserves death ourselves and so I literally had the highlight that's going to speak to that but you guys did a great job with it last thing I was going to say that this verse came to mind that there is nothing if you're a believer that has suffered through this or has been a part of abortion there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God yeah. right it'd be easy to think that man if I lost my salvation or how could God ever love me or how could I ever forgive myself mm-hmm. but what you both just declared is the truth that we have to believe though not easy sometimes mm-hmm. and it might be an ongoing thing right that one yeah. day you feel like I believe this and I'm resting in this and I know God loves me. The next day it's like, oh gosh, what? And we're living in fear and shame again, but yeah. we have to believe those truths. Yeah. Right. Uh, one thing I, I do want to speak to, which is like just something that comes up a lot. It's like, oh, this is like some new political American thing, like this the, this particular thing. And there is, there is yes, definitely, <laughs> it has been politicized. It is just in the last 50 years been a thing that you know Catholics and Protestants like get really loud about. And so that that is true. There is like, a, a movement there and a loudness there that is unique to where we are. But like this, this conversation that we're having right now is not a new conversation. It is ancient and it is old. And we already spoke to scripture stuff, but like just pointing to even to like church history, um, we can go back and look at the, like the church fathers and see what they had to say about, you know, abortion. And there's a, a document called uh, the Didache, which is like a, it's like a catechism for new believers. It's from the first century. Uh, and one of the ways it's broken out is like describing what it looks like to to live out the, the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord, your God, and love your neighbor as yourself. And as it's describing like how to live out that second commandment, uh, it says this, uh, the second commandment of the teaching, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit uh, pederasty, you shall not commit fornication, you shall not steal, practice magic, uh, you shall not practice witchcraft, you shall not murder a child by abortion, nor kill that which is born. That is 100 AD at the latest wow. teaching from the church that was a catechism for new believers. And so like pretty explicit outside the Bible, this is a, a document that's there that we can see this was the che- teaching of the church. Um, Which also tr- tells us culturally abortion is not new. It's not a result of the it's 70s also not new. or the sexual revolution or anything. People have always, exactly this has been around. There are cultural things that fan the flame, you know, and all that stuff. But, you know, like it is, it is not new mm-hmm. at, by any stretch of the imagination. Tertullian um, said that at conception, an embryo is a person, uh, therefore abortion is wrong. Uh, Irenaeus, Augustine, um, others had different issues or different perspectives on this, but all landed at the fact that like, gosh, it's a person. Mm-hmm. You, and you it, like aborting it is murder. Um, and these are just to zoom out again, not just old voices, but these are non-American voices. These are African voices. These are European voices. These are Asian voices throughout all of church history that would consistently speak to this particular place of where Christians land. And even medically, the medical history, um, if you've heard of the Hippocratic Oath, like do no harm, doctors and nurses, some of them I think still say that. There's a modern version they might say. 
but the the historic uh, Hippocratic oath that either Hippocrates or some of his followers wrote back in the fourth or fifth century BC. Uh, this was part of it. I will neither give a deadly drug to anybody who asked for it, nor will I make a suggestion to this effect. Similarly, I will not give to a woman an abortive remedy. In purity and holiness, I will guard my life and my art. And so, and that's not to say, ah, oh, this is what everybody believed back then. And everyone said, no, like it was contentious. It was contended back then. But there were sides to it, you know? And so this, again, this conversation isn't new. Mm -hmm. uh, it's old. And so just even for us, we get wrapped up like 15 minutes or a week or two weeks is like a lifetime today in social media, internet world. And it's <laughs> like, it is super helpful for us to have a historic uh, global perspective on some of these things. And that's certainly not all of it, but that's some of it, right? And so I just, I kind of want to bring that into focus too, that like, Maybe the clear thing to say is, at least from a, a church, a Christian perspective, the historic Orthodox teaching is that this is something that's not okay. Like, this is against church teaching. So, Can I just swing as far yep. away from that as possible? Go for it. But in the same vein? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, as far yeah. away from the, the first century church as possible. Um, Nicki Minaj. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a good time to get a drink. The 2008, prophet. <laughs> 2008 single autobiography. She says, Please, baby, forgive me. Mommy was young. I adhere to the nonsense. Listen to the people who told me I wasn't ready for you. But how? How would they know what I was ready to do? And of course, it wasn't your fault. It's like I feel it in the air. I hear you saying, Mommy, don't cry. Can you see? I'm right here. I gotta let you know what you mean to me when I'm sleeping. I see you in my dreams with me. Wish I could touch your little face or just hold your little hand. If it's part of God's plan, maybe we can meet again. The flip to that is that the world is really loud and says like, I mean, there's just so much in that. But like, be brave, take control of your own body. In, in so many ways is saying um, you're weak because you, you can't do it. And it's like, gosh, just like, there's so many voices. It would be easy. I mean, Nicki Minaj is a, I don't even know what to call her. <laughs> yeah. a, a sexualized pop icon. I, I think maybe she would yeah, call yeah. herself that. <laughs> yeah. And so it would just be so easy to think, one, that this is new, yeah. to your point, Scott. Yeah. Or two, that like everyone who is on TV or in my feed mm -hmm. and influencing people lands where you do. And I'm not saying that she has her, you know, I mean, like she wrote a yeah. song. I'm, I'm sure. just saying, but certainly that's like, it's heavier than that. It is, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. So that good. was worth sharing. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if this is where this fits. If not, hopefully you can edit it out. <laughs> no, go for it. But, but I think that those lyrics, I mean, those are beautiful and even speak to what I think matters is that we talk about, or we don't talk about, people talk about threat. I don't know if there's a better word than the threat mm -hmm. or the, the risk mm -hmm. to the pregnant woman if she has the baby, what I hear a lack of is the conversation around the ramifications, the consequences, the emotional weight that women carry afterward when they have had an abortion. Yeah. And if you talk to someone who's had an abortion, they will tell you about it. Right. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, it's not new or quiet to them, but culturally speaking, where is that conversation and where are we talking about the risks on both sides? Because there are medical ramifications, there are emotional weight and ramifications that last for the rest of her life. Yeah. And again, I don't know if the dads feel the same, if they're aware of the, 
you know, what happens with the decision when they're included, they may feel the same. I don't talk to the dads, but right. I mean, yeah. there, this is something that affects women, not just during pregnancy or before, but this, the weight of this lasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last thing, and again, I don't have to say anything else the rest of the time, but <laughs> like there was a shift from like the, the in the eighties and nineties, a, a, a position of like privacy and choice was, was the, and, and choice was the thing that like, people held on to to try to preserve those rights and like under the Obama administration there was certainly a lot of things that went on um, in in 2009 there was uh, a house education and labor committee hearing and in there somebody brought up it was around like certainly medical stuff and Obamacare whatever you want to call it affordable health plan all that stuff and somebody somebody brought up like abortion as a caveat to something and the objection was we're not talking about tonsillectomies. And, and so it's actually abortion is a legal medical practice. And by even having to talk about it, we're not talking about having your tonsils out and whether you can do it. So we shouldn't be talking about abortion either. And like that just, I mean, that, that is just a, a terrible false narrative to undercut no matter where you stand. Even if you're like, and I guess my heart for all this is like pro-life, pro-choice, like lots in it and I care deeply but like certainly you could it's it's hard for me not to see empathy for the woman and it's hard for me not to see empathy for the unborn child and so that's where it's like you wear a t-shirt or you just loudly boast and it's like what like yeah. we can't see that this is complicated and difficult <laughs> and so yeah. if you're very loud on one pole or the other like the the human element of it is clear that a tonsillectomy is not the same thing as an abortion yes yeah. sure that that was a congressional hearing where that was said. And that's I think They're that's not wrong. Again, like reading and listening to all sides of this stuff, like it is wild what Planned Parenthood won't tell you and how rosy they paint the picture when you read about, hey, this is what this is like and this is what it's gonna be like. And are there there are no mental health or psychological things that will happen as a result of that. And while maybe maybe statistically significant, like diagnosed whatever like there's probably a way they get to say that and still be okay but like to totally seem to gloss over like the emotional ramifications oh you might be sad for a few days like it's hormonal or you know like that kind of stuff is totally missed and on the other side it's like can we talk about like how hard it is for a single mom <laughs> to then have a, a child mm-hmm. if you're 11 to 17 and you all of a sudden now have a kid that you're caring for like mm-hmm. can we talk about how difficult that is and that's where that's where it's like can we just be honest about this stuff even when like years ago there are all these kind of exposés of like people trying to sell like mm-hmm. buy or sell like body parts of aborted children it's like that is horrific and that is horrible to be exposed also you're lying and deceiving to like get this stuff and so it's like the way that we engage and the way we talk about like can we just not be honest about stuff because all of a sudden all that does when we engage in like bad faith and some of the stuff is we just give people reasons to like hate the bad faith stuff and argue with that instead of like dealing with what's true. And in the meantime, what's missed is the fact that it's not to your point, Kelly, at the very beginning. This is not just a debate and how do we win and how do we play gotcha. It's about real lives, real women, real children, real dads, you know, who are like suffering and who are in hard places all across the spectrum because of that. And instead, we we turn it into this like, no, yeah, we don't want to talk about this. We want to talk about this like. So maybe that's like a good segue into what is unclear. Like, what do we miss in this conversation? 
that we need to kind of like untangle or just say like, hey, we don't know. <laughs> this is just hard and we can't fix it, but we see it. I'll just say something. I hope it's to the point of this and it might need some refining, but this is God's war. And so when we, who he invites us into his, his mission and his plan, when we take it to a whole other level and get, and get angry or furious at others, and when we blow up or when we act irrational, God, what we're, what we're doing is I think we're making it our own personal vendetta or, or agenda. And, and it, what I don't mean by that is that we don't get to act or care or engage. But when we know that God is on his throne he is, like I said earlier, going to make all things right. And he cares more than we ever could. I think that frees us to not have to like just get so worked up that we can't even control our emotions or thoughts or words. Yeah. So I think that's maybe something that maybe is missing. Is that, gosh, what, why do we overreact, even as Christians? Maybe because we forget that this is not our own battle to fight. It's not on us. Mm-hmm. We, we don't get to wield and control. We certainly need to speak truth and love and care and love and, and come alongside. But this is God's thing. I would just say, I mean, on like a... 50,000 foot view, we miss humility and we miss empathy mm-hmm. and we miss understanding. And I know we've like banged that drum, but I mean, for, for me, like in all of those things, we get to, we get to lead out of those positions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we get to be humble in our engagements. We get to listen two ears, one mouth, you know, like we, we get to like yeah. bear with and, and it, yeah, it's, it's just so easy to say, like, my body, my choice, and I would say, gosh, there are so many instances where I would say, you better believe it. <clears throat> and it's like, yeah. but but this instance, gosh, there, it's just it's just bigger than that. It's just bigger than that. Uh, that's like bodily autonomy stuff comes up. That's and what I'm over here, like, yeah, I don't, go for it. I don't know if I should say anything, I don't know <laughs> if I shouldn't, I'm relying on the edit button, but I think part of what makes this murky, so... I, I mean, before I was a Christian, I was unashamedly pro-choice. I am now unashamedly pro-life on this particular issue and on most issues. I guess on every issue. I don't know where that, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> but I'm saying like, I am, I am not for abortion decisions or whatever, yeah. you know, people want to call it on both sides. But, but my thing before was always like, I don't want, I think my, my quote, high school Kelly's quote was, I don't want a bunch of white men in suits sitting in Washington, D.C. telling me what I can do with my body. That still resonates with me, guys, and that's what yeah. feels a little volatile here because I am unashamedly not for abortion. I believe unborn babies are babies, all the things. And it still resonates with me when women say, my body, my choice, or when, you know, my feet is for some reason very liberal. Like, there's a lot of reasons to that. Or maybe just the liberal people on all my social feeds are louder than the not. I'm not sure. But and that, so I, that could be. That could be very true. So I, I'm seeing lots of yeah. things and... Um, and some of it resonates. And so just, again, as a woman who is not speaking for all women, women, but just speaking as a woman who has carried babies, we cannot deny the fact or take out the fact that this does affect women Mm -hmm. and they may disagree with us on this decision. And I will fight to the end of the day for the baby who cannot speak for him or herself. And we haven't even talked about the unborn women. So that's as a feminist, like I can't, this is another maybe side thing that we don't have time for, but who is speaking? Who are the feminists speaking for the women who can't talk yet because they're fetuses? You're like, yeah, I don't, right. what about those women? 
not really understanding who is speaking up for them and I'm happy to raise my hand and be there, but I cannot, I cannot help but also feel when women say this affects my body and just, you know, and people making decisions about bodily autonomy for other people, just all. And then we, and we go into underrepresentation of women and power positions and legislative and medical community. I can't even start on the, the whole relationship between women and the medical community, not even about abortion, but I mean, pregnancy and birth and all of the things, and if you know me in real life, we've probably already had the conversation, but there's a whole history here that I will just say makes it murky for me personally because I resonate with some of those things, even though yeah. I will, at the end of the day, fight for the, the baby who can't speak. Yeah, I mean, I think there's plenty of reasons why, historically, even, like, women having to fight for some <laughs> for some rights that, like, oh dudes gosh, already have. Like, like there's a history. Point, they would knock them out unconscious to give birth. Sure. In the th- I mean, Scott has been in the delivery room with me, and th- I will not get in epidural because i don't like the idea of losing control of my legs and then right. women for large parts of history were knocked out cold to have the baby yeah so it's like the idea of people making decisions for our bodies or interfering with our you know or just not empowering women to make medical decisions for themselves that's a real thing sure that's a real thing i, I think that's legit and that's not a thing that we can snap our fingers and be like oh see like that's a thing and yeah. all of a sudden it goes away no like i mean it's still there you know and so I, that's legitimate like bodily autonomy stuff again that's why like our our value of all bodies that God has made in his image and especially for believers like they're literally temples of the Lord where the spirit dwell. that's why we spend April in sexual assault awareness month and say like hey be aware of this and like this is not okay um, speaking against abuse speaking against this because bodies are sacred and like we gladly declare that there ought to be restrictions on what someone can do with their body because of those very things. And that's a good thing. And I think that's because it's not just bodily autonomy is not the only or even the, the highest value that we have or ethic that we have. It's also safety and life and health. And those things sometimes clash. And it's because of our desire to not have people abused that we say you can't take your fist and strike someone else with it. And if you do, we're going to take away some of your autonomy and throw you in prison. (laughs) And you have to wear this and you have to eat this and you have to be here at this certain time. And like, and so we already live in a world. I mean, we can go to vaccines. We can go to all sorts of places to talk about. Yeah, let's bodily. talk about that. Yeah, let's because this already is good ideas. But like, there's all all kinds of places we can go to talk about bodily autonomy and how I think we all treasure that. But we also none of us act like that's the highest thing in every situation. Like we don't want to say, ah, you hit me. I know, but that was your that was your choice. You know, to this like. There, no, no one thinks that. But it's so. What are the things that come into play there? We have to weigh those sometimes equally, you know. Well, it's like a, no matter what, and like you know, we have to do the same thing, and there are difficulties yeah. for us to do that. But like a, a consistent ethic with regard to life, right? And mm-hmm. so you can't just—I mean, you can because you do—but like just make some extraneous statement that's yeah that's appropriate for one instance, but then you just take one step to the right or left and like, well, that's not true. It's like, well, there's no grounds. Like, yeah. So like, and that would be an encouragement to have a consistent ethic Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. on how you engage life. Which does not make it simple. And I not said at, at the very beginning, like having, saying that a, an unborn child and a woman are equally people and equally worth dignity and value and made in God's image 
that then makes the scenario, the real scenario, even though it's rare, the real scenario that a woman's life is in danger because of a pregnancy, that makes that situation more complicated mm -hmm. because of that consistency. And so it would be easier to say, you know what, uh, yeah, just gonna, I'm gonna make this a not a straight line, but I'm gonna make this a swerve line over here to get this. Like, it would be easier to say that. And I've had conversations with people about that, like who want to be baptized about the church, whatever. And it's like this is where I'm because this situation. It's like, look, I this is where we land. This is what we believe. And also, if if it is like a medical threat, you know, to your health for you to become pregnant at some point. Like, just know, like, I, there's not some weird blanket issue. And we're just going to say, sorry, your life is worth less than this child. Like, mm -hmm. we're not going to say that. It's worth the same. And that's going to be really difficult mm -hmm. to walk through. And we will be here all the way. And there is not a win-win answer to that or solution to that. And so we'll, we'll be here along the way to walk with you and love you and care for you and offer you what you need. That's what the church gets to offer. Like, th there's not an easy solution to that, even though that ethic might be consistent, you know? Just, I've heard, like, loudly, like, the, um, you know, you're in a fertility clinic, and there's seven embryos, and there's a crying baby, and there's a fire. Like, you don't yeah. ever have to respond to a question like that. <laughs> like, sure, yeah. like the, I mean, like, that, that's, that's not, like, what's, that's not the heart of this. Yeah. And, but, and at the same time, and we know we're not speaking to outlier situations by and large. Yeah. But, like, yeah, you don't, you don't start there with this. And, like, that, that is not, that's probably not going to be a fruitful conversation if that never. comes up. Yeah. <laughs> never but I've been a part of those as well. And it's yeah. like, okay, that's, we're not even, you know. I think the reality yeah. is pregnancy, birth does require something of women physically, mentally, emotionally, culturally, materially, all the things. I mean, my stance, I think the three of you would agree, is that it's worth the sacrifice that it costs and that the church should be the first in line to come come alongside moms and dads who are making those sacrifices, yeah. which are God-given privileges, honors. I don't say sacrifice in a negative light. I mean, it, it is there are sacrifices included and they... Are the greatest gift mm -hmm. I think most parents would say. So. Yeah, which makes it all the more when you have white dudes in suits who get up, or in jeans and a t-shirt, they get up on <laughs> Sunday morning, or sitting in Congress saying, "Sorry, you just gotta have the baby." It's asking a little more of the women involved, right there, than it is the like. Just be frank about that, and that is where it comes back to. It is not just a, are you allowed to do this or not, but it's also a, hey, what are some of the surrounding circumstantial things happening that make this so difficult and make this an option that would in any way be attractive and mm -hmm. like let's address the financial stuff let's address mm -hmm. the benefit stuff let's address you know like all these different things and supports that show that we actually do care as much about the mom as we do about the unborn baby we can care about both mm -hmm. but then like let's also be as loud about that as we are about this other thing so uh so in general like how has we often hear like yeah well if 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 you're on that position, then tell me, what have you done? Like, how are you caring for what? I so just could, could you all speak in just a minute, like about what has the village's kind of track record been around kind of speaking into this issue in particular, coming alongside moms or. Just you know, so much. I reject the premise of the people that say, well, the church doesn't do anything on the other end. That's not true. It's not true. at It's true for some churches, but at large, it's not true. And here it's not true. I don't know if you have stuff that you want to talk no, about. Like, I was trying to take it, but I just listed a couple of things off the top of my head and preparing for this. Like we, have financially supported Pathway to Hope in the last seven months. We have people that have, we've served as a local go team in some of the um, opportunities that they have to highlight things 
Um, and then also we have people that actually serve there on a regular basis, which is a beautiful thing. Um, Young Lives meets here mm-hmm. in our facility. Um, we have stuff. Young Lives is team mom. Absolutely. Support. Yeah, You're right. So sorry. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and gosh, our goal is to support them, to come alongside them. To We've financially supported them as well as long as sent volunteers to them. Um, I know the Eve Center is not maybe specifically that, but it's oh, a yeah. way to care for women with those things as well. And we have people at our church that are connected with that and volunteering. Um, and I don't want to take everything, but just two more. We have um, from the stage talked about how to address this a little bit, not, not specifically a message on just abortion, but we have talked from the stage about this. And also we have a benevolence fund, which is ready and available. And we have helped in specific ways for our church inside and outside of the church. And so, gosh, look, we're not perfect. We're not doing all the things, no. but we, our heart is certainly to not just say something and then withhold action from it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah, just to add, there's corporate engagement in those yeah. ways. I mean, I, I just say like in terms of preaching, we preach the full counsel of scripture, mm-hmm. which speaks yeah. To this, uh, and sometimes more targeted than other times, but um, corporately and individually, yeah, come alongside Pathway to Help, which is a what's the official pregnancy care center? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I dropped off a reference letter for someone that's trying to maybe get a job there this mm-hmm. week, and yeah. so even people that's where it's like the corporate coming alongside, but also individually. And we have like how many adoptions hmm. are represented? Foster I mean, care. Yeah, foster, foster care. and adoption, yeah. like. T- probably 20 kids. And then I mean, kinship on top of that. People yeah. that aren't officially in the system but are caring for a child yeah. they did not birth. Yeah. It's a big deal. So we're, we're doing stuff. We care about this. And some, a lot of people don't know about that. And so we want to say, hey, we're, we're trying to put, again, like we're trying to walk the talk. Uh, wrap up, kind of maybe combine some of the last things that we had here to chat about. But like in terms of what the church's unique role is in all this stuff or how we would hope our church engages in this issue or interacts around this with one another, just maybe some thoughts around that as we humility. kind of wind down. I think humility comes to mind. The church gets to be humble when the culture is not. Yeah, I had other kind words that end with L-Y. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sympathy um, doesn't end in L-Y, but love, respect, humility, kindness. Um, we get to engage biblically. We get to mm-hmm. be refuge. Um, but I just think it's really important like, to know that we don't live in a theocracy. And like, that is, that's a big part of humility, that our... Our um, legislation is not built on biblical law code. Mm-hmm. And so to just, like, I'm not minimizing God's word. I'm saying to just spout a Bible verse to someone who doesn't submit themselves to the scriptures might not be as helpful as you think that it would be. Yeah. <laughs> and so in the name of humility, like, have conversations outside of your particular worldview. Not, like, you know, bypassing it or, like, whatever, but, like, just know that that people have that conversation on different levels, and and when you open the book, that might mean nothing to them. Mm-hmm. And so, like, man, be willing to engage in different, you know, different outlets and spheres of life um, beyond that. So. I think the church is there. It's a good news people is what we should be, and so like, don't be ashamed to I think speak to man. It is horrific and it's tough and it's difficult. But it, we get to bring good news into it. And so we get to point to the, again, the, the value and dignity that God bestows on women and children. And we get to live that out and walk that out. We get to declare that. Do we get to speak to the horrors of abortion and what that is? We can, absolutely. And I don't think we should shy away from saying, like, that's not okay and this is wrong. We get to say that and not be apologetic. But we also get to be mindful of how those words land 
and who we're speaking to, to what Matt like answered towards the very beginning, like our enemies are not the people around us, not our political opponents, not our ideological opponents or whatever. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. And so we get to treat everyone as if that's actually true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and I think as loud as some of us might be about what's terrible, like we get to say, are we reveling in and living out of a place where we really are treasuring the men and the women and the kids that are around us and wanting to create a place where folks don't feel like they're going to feel guilted or shamed or what a condemned for like talking about their past or what they feel like they wanted to do or thought about at some point. We get to be good news people and all that. Any other things you guys want to speak to or final words in general around this conversation? I just a final word for those that have been a part of in any way, shape, or form um, where this might be condemning, and I understand how words play out. Whatever I read something this week, it said there's there's no one more pro-choice than Satan when a woman is headed into an abortion clinic, and there's no one more pro-life than Satan when she's heading out of it, emphasizing that he's an accuser and he's a condemner mm. and and he's a, a murderer and a liar. And like I just thought that was like powerful. Like man. The voices that we hear are like telling us what maybe what we want to hear or what will make the moment easier or whatever. And then in the backside of that, and I know when we say, oh gosh, you know, Nicki Minaj, she was sad. I, I know some people would say, no, like I would do it. I would do it a hundred times, you know, like, and so like, I, yeah. we're, we're not projecting any thought on anyone about any of these things, but for those who have dealt with that in any way, shape or form or considered it like, man, that's just, I just thought that was a helpful Mm-hmm. like consideration just to those people the church is not your enemy and this church specifically is is safe we want to be your home we want to be we want to know you and thanks guys for listening to this just want to reiterate again like the gospel covers us all and so if you want to talk if there are things that you need to get off your chest if you need to come at us because we've said something that like you find wildly offensive or untrue or we don't know your story or whatever then like come and talk to us this is not the final word this is not the end of the conversation this is us hopefully modeling some stuff and clarifying some things and letting you know what we're coming from. So please come and chat with us. We'd love to talk with you more about that. Um, We'll leave it at that for now. Thanks for listening uh, and we'll see you next time.